This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Uh, good morning, friends. My name is Christopher. I am uh, one of the leaders here. I'm the associate pastor here at God First in Cheltenham. It's great to see you. And um, we, just one of the, the great joys of being community is that we're trying to help everybody in our uh, community here engage with God, uh, which is why I'm saying thank you for your patience uh, in this. It really is precious for us. Um, let me show you my party trick. I've got a, everyone's got a party trick, right? Well, mine... Mine is uh, different. So this is, that's me. I'll pull in my tummy, sorry. How's that? Okay, do you see that? That is not me lying skew. That is because my right arm is about 10 centimeters shorter than my left. And what that means, one of the great joys of my life used to be golf. And what that what that means on the golf course is that I have this horrendous hook pretty much every time I swing the club to my great frustration and the frustration of the friends that I try and play golf with. But I persevere. Nonetheless, I keep going, I keep swinging that swine club in the hope that something will change one day, but it really doesn't. And there's a part of me that thinks just settle in your heart that you will never be good at golf again. But I keep coming back, and the reason is actually not so much the golf, because that's not so pleasant anymore, but it's the community. It's the guys that I get to do it with that makes it fun. There's so much banter, it's the... <laughs> It's the rub of life. It's where we kind of get to the real how's your marriage stuff. And, you know, that's, that's, that's what we talk about on the golf course. It's really great. And even though it's, it's not a pleasant place for me to be in um, often, I still am drawn to go back and realize the joy and the benefit of that. And um, I, I, I think the relevance for me is, is that our community is very much like that. The places in which we find community sometimes feel like my right arm is a bit shorter than my left and we hook the ball instead of just it going smoothly all the time. And there's seasons of life where community life seems to be doing well and it's great to be in church and it's great to be in our G1Cs and, and in our threes. It's great to be doing meals together. Um, and there's other times that it's just... Just not fun, but we keep coming back. And as you might have picked up, our big theme for this morning is love one another, the grace of community. So we're in our, our grace series, transforming grace, which we've been going through for the last gusting two months. And man, it's been lovely. Love one another, the grace of community. And I think 
if you are here this morning and you're exploring the Christian faith, you're a, you're a guest here with us, um, man, this is the right place to be. Um, I really do pray that as we explore this, this theme together, that you will realize that the Christian community is a wonderful place to plant yourselves and to root yourselves and to use as a, as a place to explore the truths and teachings about Jesus. So you are super welcome. Guys, let's turn straight to Scripture. John 13, verse 31 to 38. Love one another. That's probably a uh, phrase we've heard many times if you've been in church circles long enough. And again, like almost I said two weeks ago, it's one of those passages that we get to hear a lot. We read over it very quickly almost because we're just comfortable with it. Let's pause. Let's go through it slowly. Let's say... Let's open our hearts and say, Father, teach us what you want to out of your scripture this morning. May, may we not get complacent with words on a page. These are the words of life written to us, spoken to us, that we might know truth, that we might live truth, that it might do us much good and we might do each other much good to your glory. Amen. So there we are, John 13, verse 31 to 38. This is the back end of... A conversation where Jesus has just said that pretty much Judas will be the one to betray him. He didn't use those words, so there's a bit of speculation still in the air, but we as the reader know that it is Judas who is going to be betraying Jesus. And Judas walks out the room to go and meet with Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, to plot Jesus' arrest and death. And it's in this discussion moment that we've just walked in. And when he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. So this, this moment of Judas taking the steps to go and initiate the arrest and betrayal of Jesus is the now kind of moment that, that kicks this into gear. So now the Son of Man is glorified, and God the Father is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself, and glorify Him at once. It's this future hope. There's this moment. We know that the, the, the wheels of, of actions have been set in motion to bring Jesus to the place of crucifixion, death, resurrection and glorification and Jesus is is almost summing all of these things up in this one little phrase little children he says yet a little while I am with you you will seek me and just as I said to the Jews so now I also say to you where I am going you cannot come a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I, I will lay my, down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Question mark. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow 
till you have denied me three times. So, let's look at verse 33, 36, 37, and 38, just in, in kind of introduction as, as, uh, as a whole. And I think it's just wonderful that the tenderness of Jesus that comes through immediately. His, my little children. Uh, I, I looked it up in the Greek, as one does. And it doesn't say little children. It just says children. But I like what the ESV has done in drawing people in. It's this, the sense of preciousness, intimacy, and almost a condescendence. But it's an appropriate condescendence. This is the Lord who will be sent in glory, who will be raised in glory, now speaking to some very flimsy people indeed. And there are times where we know Jesus kind of emphasizes his humanness, or at least Scripture emphasizes the humanness of Jesus. He cries, he ate, he, he was hungry, um, he was angry, he loved, these kind of moments. But this is one of those moments where Scripture almost highlights his divinity, his godness, Jesus is going to his death. He's going to his promised, prophesied resurrection and then ascension into glory. He's not deserving of any of the guilt or the shame that he goes to the cross with. That's all ours that he took upon himself in that moment. And he he carried it on our behalf to the cross on which he was then nailed. And this joyful obedience of Jesus to to God the Father, even obedience to the point of death on a Roman cross would bring about his full and final transformation from suffering servant to king in all his glory. But reading this kind of 2,000 years later, we, we can get lost a little bit in the sort of wording of this, the, the passionate wording about the new commandment and his glory and one of the dangers is we often read things in isolation a little bit, which is one of the joys of the five-by-five reading that we're doing together, is that it helps us track through a story, track through a book from beginning to end and follow the full flow and feel the full thrust of what the writer is trying to give us. But for us, it's easy to sort of look at Peter and his words and just sort of chuckle and dismiss it as if his foot-in-mouth disease was somehow uh, just his, as if you and I never fall in that trap. I am constantly foot-in-mouth. I'm always saying the wrong things. Always. It really does remind me of me. And instead of focusing on the very clear, revealed command that Jesus gives him, to love one another, he does what most of us would do. He goes off on a tangent. Instead of responding with, Jesus, tell us more about how we should love each other. Give us a couple more tips or or some insights that will help that. Peter follows this, this little sideshow of his into being inquisitive about what Jesus does not tell him. Why can we not follow you? Don't you know I will give my life for you? Instead of responding with humble submission and obedience, 
he again falls into question mode. Peter, will you, will you really give your life for me? Jesus asks. Will you really, Peter? Do you, Peter, you think that following me is all about fighting for my rights and fighting for your rights and fighting to know stuff. It's all about gaining knowledge. But now, Peter, that you press me on this point, let me tell you a little secret. Peter, you, you are not as, as impressive as you think you are right now. And you stand here with, with your puffed up attitude of how you're going to die for me. I'll give, you'll give my life, your life for me. And yet, Peter, before the cock crows tomorrow morning, at break of dawn, you will have denied me three times. This puffed up, arrogant desire for knowledge instead of obedience is not just something that you and I live in. As a 21st century Westerner, no, no, this has been part of life in the first century, time of Jesus, but it comes from even way back before then. It comes from the day in a place called the Garden of Eden, which we see is in kind of modern-day Mesopotamia, the, the Iraq region. And I would argue a real garden where a real man and woman named Adam and Eve lived, and they called home. And these real people, like you and like me, and like Peter, thought that gaining knowledge would be a good thing. They thought that knowledge is power, and power brings the ability to control our destinies and give us joy and peace. But God said to them, you can eat, Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in the fruit, uh, any fruit from the, the trees in the Garden of Eden, any fruit, except one. There's one called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of that tree, you dare not eat. Anything else is yours. Go for it. Enjoy. Eat. Feast. I will supply. I will be your God. I will bring your joy and peace. And they were happy. They were satisfied. 99% of the time, they could eat everything they wanted. Until the day. The serpent came. Satan, the liar, the deceiver, came and he said, did God really say that you might not eat of any of the trees? Surely you can eat of that tree. Surely he didn't say you will really die when you eat from that tree. God just wants to keep all the best fruit for himself. He wants to keep the best knowledge for himself because he knows when you eat of this, you will become wise and be like God yourself. Oof, and that temptation was just too much for them. They ate. They died, just as God had said. Not merely did physical death enter the world at that point, but spiritual death, spiritual separation between man and God. And man has been trying to play God, to fill the gap, left by that moment, and been eating that fruit of knowledge of good and evil since that moment, and been dying spiritual death 
and physical death since that moment. Knowing more and more information promises to help us control our environment and our destinies and be like little gods. It promises to stroke the ego, satisfy the soul, but it never delivers as it says on the box, does it? Jesus, I will make disciples when I know more Bible. Jesus, I will stand up and be counted in this community when I know a bit more and uh, when I feel like I, I know who's who in the zoo and when I've received enough to be able to start giving out, then I can stand up and be counted as a leader. Knowing more and more information we think will give us the ability to do the things that we'd like. I'll come along on a Sunday, I'll come along to a G1C, I'll come along to just church life and community life when I've got nothing better to do. Nothing, at least nothing less boring than that. Oh, sadly, I've used those phrases over and over in the years. And I suspect some of us have as well. Instead of getting our hands dirty, instead of listening and obeying the command that Jesus gives, we think it all out first. Let's make sure we understand the command. Jesus, were you really meaning this? Did you really say this? But surely it would mean then this. And we fall back again and again into the age-old trap. Into this pious-looking sideshow that holds us back from full obedience to Jesus. Pious-looking. Pious-sounding. Romans 7, 24, 25. A wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. When I, when I was writing that, that verse was just, it exploded in my heart because I realized the treachery of my heart, the deceptiveness of my heart, the, the selfishness of my heart. Wretched man that I am. But thanks be to God there is an answer through Jesus Christ. Friends, the world and the culture around us has been designed partly by us and partly still by that deceiving serpent, Satan, into a system that we hope will feed our longings and our desires the way that we see them. Academia and knowledge enhancements is praised as the highest achievements of mankind. Technology designed to remove our dependence on anyone else and social media platforms that feed our needs to be loved and affirmed without people ever needing to even know us. Little gods indeed. Like Peter, I, I wonder how many of us would have stood in the crowd and done exactly the same thing as Peter. I, I wonder how many of us would have loved the adoration. Imagine if we walked around with this incredible teacher like Jesus. 
Hey, I'm in the in crowd. In fact, he was even in the, in the in of the in crowd. He was one of the three, the Peter, James, and John trio. He was known. He was respected. So, I wonder how many of us would have promised our lives in the same way as Peter did. And we do. We flimsily and easily, it rolls off the tongue, Jesus, I give you my life. And then, when the road gets rocky, and it starts costing us, and there's risk to our life or limb, or people start saying mean things about me, would we as easily deny him? I am with you a little while longer, my children. Listen to what I say. Don't pursue empty knowledge that puffs up, but a new commandment I give to you that will be a life-giving commandment. It will be a joy-filled commandment. In fact, it's so wonderful that even though I go into glory, I, and I won't be with you for much longer, It'll feel to you, the, the experience that you will have will be as if I myself am loving you. Commit yourself to doing what I command and forget this pious looking sideshow. Let's look at verse 34 now. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you and also... You also are to love one another. It's a new commandment I give to you. It doesn't replace the previous commandments to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is enhancement. This is an addition. It's a new command that requires the same level of obedience and the same commitment as the others. So I spent 11 years in the Air Force and I started as an airman, as one does, right at the very bottom and 11 years later, I left as a major. And I understood what commands are. Commands are given by someone in authority to someone below them. And they are to be followed without debate or argument immediately. There are questions of clarity that can be asked on occasion. But the expectation is that you step in right away, without delay. And this is the level of command, I, I think even to, to the max. Jesus, Jesus is taking this commandment to the maximum. It's not a suggestion, it's not a good idea. It is a commandment to follow without question and without delay. And this command is given, love one another. If Jesus had stopped there, I, I suspect there would have been questions. Look, who, who are you really to be making this huge demand of me? Who, who do you think you are? How far should, I, should this love really go? I mean, how much should it cost me before I can draw a line and say no more? At what point can I, can I pull myself out of danger in loving one another. But Jesus does clarify the commandment. And He also justifies why He could make such a big ask 
of people. Normally, as an officer, it's not a love command. It's not a, it's not a commandment out of love that's given. There is a necessity for action, and you do it because otherwise you get your bum kicked. Jesus doesn't do it in that way. This commandment is not like that of a military officer. Jesus clarifies and says, just as I have loved you, love one another. Whoa, Jesus, that's, that's pretty radical. I mean, you went hungry in your love for us. Does that mean I, I must be willing to give up food and stuff at times? Hardship? Yeah, maybe. Jesus, you, you slept in fields and hung out with guys, the type of guys I would not be caught dead with. Does that mean I, I should do that too? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Jesus, you loved people who were doing terrible things. They were sinners. They were horrible people. Does that mean I need to love unlovable people too? Yes. And Jesus, I, I suppose I should know the answer to this question now already, but you laid down your life for me. Does that mean I need to? Yes. Yes, you do. You need to lay down your life for one another. The very well-known verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that those who believe in Him might not die but have eternal life. If you then go to 1 John 3.16, that's a lovely little one, by this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Jesus, in knowing He was going up in glory, and that He had to leave His friends through death and then ascension, he left them not with a plan B in place. It wasn't a plan B that, that Jesus would go and somehow make it another way for them. But he left a plan A in place for them. Of still being loved by him and of being a blessing to them as he had been. Plan A is this. Love one another with the same love that I has lo have loved you. Jesus' plan to be uh, Jesus' plan to love us and bless us is through each other. Through each other. Yes, there are moments of sovereign intervention where the Spirit does something and it's boom, boom, ba, ba. But Jesus' plan A for loving us, being a blessing to us, is loving one another. Jesus' plan to prosper us, to correct us, to rebuke us, to train us, to disciple us, to provide for us, to help us through incredibly tough times, and to lead us into a mature faith will come through Christian community as we love one another. Do you, do you long for that? Do you desire that? So you really want to be loved? 
you really, really want to be loved, place yourself in the middle of Jesus' plan to love you. Place yourself in Christian community. You really want to be encouraged. Do you go through life feeling, I need someone to help me. Place yourself in the middle of Christian community. Place your way, yourself in the way of the grace of God through community. You want to have the best possible life? Get right in the middle of the place where Jesus pours out His love through one another. Christian community. Wonderfully, Christian community is not only the place where we get loved, but also Jesus' plan A, to love each other, to love other people. So, Christian community is not like a body. It is a body. We read in in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 27, uh, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Jesus is the head. And every one of us plays our part in allowing the head to achieve everything it needs to do. So the brain thinks and everything else responds to allow it to achieve its purposes. When the head wants to wash the armpit, the eyes look for the soap, the fingers grasp the soap, The arm muscles do what they need to do, and it gets in there. And as each member of the body selflessly plays their their part, the whole body rejoices and prospers. It's particularly the nose that prospers when the armpit is washed. So as we give ourselves to Christ and His leadership through a local church community, We feel His guidance. We experience His leadership. We're led to pursue the plans and the passions and the purposes of Jesus, who is our head. Sundays are great moments. They're great moments of big picture discipleship and leadership. These are, are moments where we hear from Scripture, from Jesus, from the preaching of the Bible, And exhortations to love one another and spur us on to good works. We get to hear from our local church elders. What's going on? What what, what do they feel Jesus is saying to us as a local church? What's, What's He leading us into? It's great to be able to hear from Tom this morning about the office hub. That we're saying, oh God, we need a place right in the middle of town, close to our venue here, where we can do lots of great stuff that'll serve this town, serve the people of this community. Allow us to be the hands and the feet in, in much more powerful, practical ways. To some small degree, on a Sunday, we do get to hang out with each other, but it's very brief, it's flimsy, it's kind of shallow stuff. How's your day? And we move on. Okay, so there's, there's a lot that we just can't do on a Sunday. And that's part of life. Which is why there's a whole spectrum of things that encompass Christian community. But Sunday are also a big voice moment where we get together and, and we say to Cheltenham, Cheltenham, we love you. 
We are gathering so that we can learn how to love you better. Jesus loves you and we are here for you. I think, you know, we use the, the, the phrase when the, the magnitude, the size gets big enough, there is a, there's a suction that starts taking place where people start experiencing, wow, this is Christian community at full force. And as we, we keep gathering, and we keep gathering in, in our Sundays, and we, we keep committing ourselves to our Sunday moments, the city, the towns around us, the, the people around us will start experiencing that, that growth, that momentum that, that we need. That voice gets louder and louder and louder. Cheltenham, we are here for you. Jesus loves you. And we want to see that love expressed. Sundays are so important, guys. It's not just, we're not just here and listening to some guy read notes and sing a couple of songs, go home. No, no, there is a lot that goes on. So much power. Critical mass. That's the word I was looking for. A critical mass of community that works itself out. God first. Let's commit ourselves to the regular gathering on a Sunday, the Christian community gathering to worship, to learn, to be encouraged, to be built up, and to be a loud voice into this town to say, Cheltenham, Jesus loves you and we love you. If we read further in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. Whoa, the list just gets expanded as we go on. It's not just the pastors and the teachers and and the staff that do stuff. All of a sudden, the, the list It's the individual members being added who bring skills and gifts and talents. And if we don't regularly have our top lip in our meeting, it will sound a little bit weird, right? We need the top lip. Maybe you're the top lip in this body. Maybe you're the hair. We need each other. We are the body together that achieves great things for the purposes of Jesus. Let's look at verse 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And we have very purposefully and deliberately reshaped our midweek small groups that we call God First Communities to maximize on this promise of Jesus. We want to be a community of disciples on mission with Jesus towards all men, that all men might know. And we have seen how, as, as G1 sees, as we've done this, as we've loved one another in the public spaces, that we've been, as we've been doing Christian community in public spaces, our friends and our neighbors and our family members who, who might not yet consider themselves Christians have been drawn in. They come to pub quizzes, they come have lunches, they come have dinners, they come to our events, they come and seek Easter eggs with us. They, they want to be part of this, and they're loving it because they're experiencing the unconditional, passionate, grace-filled 
love of Jesus through us. They're loving it because it's a glimpse of something deeper and truer and more profound and more significant and more satisfying than anything they've ever experienced before. They might not like what we say or even what the, uh, the way that we say it, but they love being with us. If that is what our friends are experiencing as they're exploring the claims and teachings of Jesus, how much more for us who are part of it. We're cared for, we're looked after, we're encouraged, we're boosted, we're pushed forward in our faith, we're shared with, we have friendship. We're urged to follow Jesus more closely. I think your G1C and your three, which is kind of the smaller same-sex groups that uh, that meet for discipleship, I think should be the safest place on earth, outside of marriage, obviously, if you're married. Let's read what Bonhoeffer said. He said, It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service, may still be left to their loneliness. How heartbreaking. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur, because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. <gasps> They did what? So we remain alone in our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is, we are sinners. It is our great desire that we are a community of disciples on mission with Jesus, and we are open with one another, we're vulnerable, we share our failings, we share life, and we allow each other to breathe in the grace of God that comes through community living. In order to really live as disciples of Jesus, we need to remove our masks of faked perfection and with a real humility allow the grace of God in through one another. As Bonhoeffer says, what does he call it? The final breakthrough to fellowship. Hmm. The Christian life of being a community of disciples on mission is so hard, or at least it should be so hard, that we need the grace of God through community, through the loving of one another, as we try to keep going, as we keep reminding us of the freedom and the, the forgiveness, the peace that we've got in Jesus, freedom from condemnation, freedom from selfishness, freedom to love one another as Christ has loved us. That is what your God-first community, your G1C and your three should be like, friends. And to be fair, if that doesn't excite, if that doesn't drive you to want to run up and sign up for a community group, if you're not yet in one, man, then probably nothing will. I'll be out there 
at the visitor's area, come, tell me, I want to sign up for a, a G1C. I want to be in a God-first community that helps me do this. Follow Jesus. Help me to love people as I've been loved. Maybe that's what Jesus had in mind when he said we're a, a city set on a hill. A new, radical, different city. A city within a city. A city of Christian community that stands out radically, visibly from the world around us. A city of people loving each other as Jesus has loved them. And it's a community that's not, it's got flaky kind of gray lines and boundaries. It's a well-defined group of people who live a very specific and different way, but with a deep love that spills out into the streets of the city around us. It spills over into the people around us. Friends, I am convinced, and this is where all the sociologists and all the experts in the room jump up, Friends, I am convinced that almost every problem society faces, almost every problem society faces, could be solved through Christian community spilling over and bringing the love and blessing of God into our places of living, our neighborhoods, into our schools, our places of work, into the places that we go and play and have fun in, the Gloucester Keys, whatever it is. Human slavery... Christian community to love those who've been trapped in slavery, offer them a new, fresh start, forgiven, clean. Christian community to love graciously those who've been trading with people for their benefit and their gain as they recognize the preciousness of life in Jesus Christ. Only Christian community could do that. Teen pregnancy, Christian community to love and support young mothers without judgment through those vulnerable years. Christian community to help our young ladies and gentlemen find a greater purpose and joy in life than rolling in haystacks ever could. Only Christian community could do that. Illiteracy, parenting issues, marriage, porn, business, corruption, poverty, loneliness. I think the list goes on and on. And I believe the local church and groups of local churches in towns and cities are the answer. Because Jesus loves people and gave himself up for us all. One of the incredible side effects of all men knowing we are Jesus' disciples is this. If you're anything like me, you'll have moments where you wonder, am I really a Christian? Do I really believe this stuff? Is it real? And wonderfully, we're told by this, by this, in our ver in verse uh, 35, by this, by your lifestyle of love within Christian community, all men, you included, will know that you are his disciples. So apart from just great theology, which helps us center ourselves through faith in Jesus, that our salvation is secure, by this, we will know that we are his disciples. Giving ourselves wholeheartedly to being an active Christian community is not only a place to be loved and to love others in, but it also is the great means 
of receiving feedback, which uh, we need as followers and disciples of Jesus. That says, by their fruit you will know them. By their lifestyles you will know them. By your lifestyle you can know, are you a follower of Jesus? Isn't that wonderful? I love the double meaning that Jesus then slips into verse 36. Because Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter can't follow now, but he will follow afterwards. What does that mean? I, there is this imminent knowledge as we read the book. And, and I'd encourage you, if you haven't read the book of John, it's just a magnificent reflection of, it's, it's a lot more emotive and and, and kind of circumspect writing, I think, that John brings to it. It's a very full, hearty um, book. And Peter can't imminently follow Jesus through Jesus' death and then where Jesus goes afterwards because, well, Jesus hasn't died yet and hasn't been resurrected in glory yet and has not sent the Spirit yet. But... There will come a time when the Spirit comes on them in power. And they have the ability to follow Jesus in great confidence. The one way that Peter actively answers this, this almost prophetic word that Jesus speaks, is that Peter follows Jesus through death. He follows Him through crucifixion. Peter himself is crucified and he requests not to be crucified like his Lord and Savior Jesus. He says, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner. So he's crucified upside down. And in that way, he was able to follow the death of Jesus, but also the promise and the hope of the resurrection and the heavenly glory in Christ Jesus. That's promised to him. Peter is sitting in glory now with Jesus. His hope of his resurrection is sure. But that same promise is for us. And we can grab hold of it. It is a huge means of grace to us that we would be able to look at our lives and add fruit to our faith. The assurance of our eternal destiny is by faith alone in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. But the good works, these things that, that we do as love compels us, as we love one another, as Christ has loved us, these good works are like the cherry on the cake, which allows us to see, yes, indeed, my lifestyle points to the fact that I follow Jesus and I am a, a disciple of Jesus. Oh, indeed, the grace of God to us through Christian community. So, friends, let's not get lost in phrases like, I'll, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll get involved with this when I know enough about the Bible. I'll make disciples when I know enough about Jesus. I'll stand up as a leader when I know enough about the Bible so I can teach others. Let's not get caught up in phrases like that. Jesus rebukes Peter harshly for that sort of thinking. 
Let us be those who hear the commandment of our Lord Jesus and obey without question, without delay. Love one another now. And the great storehouses of God's grace through Christian communities then unlock to us as we place ourselves right in the middle of it. We can be loved by Christ Himself through one another. Friends, choose to actively put yourself in the middle of Christian community. But not only are we loved, but we can see the joy and the blessing of being the body of Christ together, each doing their part, and in unity and peace for the blessing of the whole body and the purposes for which the head uses us, Jesus. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.